you should get the um, the Ford Bronco that I just saw the other day. It reminded me that they did this crazy thing, the Desert Racer. The oh, factory the... built, you buy oh, it. Oh, Bronco you... Raptor? No, no, no. It's, it's Oh, the actual race car. The DR. It's a race. It's a tr- racing truck for desert races you can buy right now. I've often argued that a pre-runner would be a great vehicle for the BQE, given how shitty the <laughs> totally road surface is. Totally. Yeah. The culture just doesn't make it this far east. That's the problem. Okay, can you imagine like New York? Like when I grew up, New York still had like bombed out cars and fired cars on the side of the road, side of the street. Yes. Just drive right over them. It'd be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> we get in your way. The good old days. <laughs> well, what else should we, should we tell everybody what we're here for? Uh, yeah, listen, I brought, um, I brought a mug that represents the uh, most winning brand. So, yes. Well, we're here with this is the Never Stop Driving podcast. This is where we're going to bring you all the stuff that's important in the car world. Fantastic guest, the latest from Haggerty Media. I'm Larry Webster. I'm the editor-in-chief of uh, Haggerty Media. I'm here with our VP of video, Matt Tusillo, who who handles video, also uh, all of our social stuff. So I hope you check us all out. Um, It's a big week, Matt. I am very excited. It is a big week. It's a big week in Florida. Big week in Florida. It's the 24 hours of Daytona this weekend. To me, this is like, oh, the light at the end of the tunnel. Winter is not forever. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you could just, you could relocate to Florida in the winter months. Oh, I I can't. I mean, I got all kinds of reasons, money included, that mean that's just not going to work for me at this moment, but I would love to. I mean, people become snowbirds for a reason, but yeah, no, Daytona kind of kicks off, uh, sports car season really and against all odds we are in a golden age of sports car racing and uh what i mean by that is there's 59 entries they had 60 which is full but one dropped out there are maybe 10 or 12 manufacturers racing cars directly or indirectly and mm-hmm. these are not like i, I this, this interview you hear later i was asking i was like are the manufacturers into this racing because it's cheaper than nascar no it's more expensive even though the yeah. viewership is lower, there's the still viewership coming. is like non-existent comparatively. <laughs> Com- yeah, comparatively. <laughs> so, all of these car companies that you know they found new interest in road racing. I, I am shocked. I mean, is that just me? Or are you sharing my wonder? No, here? I think. I mean, I think it's the. This is always why I enjoy like DTM and like WRC and stuff like that because the vehicles are relatable. Sort of to what you, yeah, to what you can get like in a showroom, right? It's very much like race on Sunday, sell on Monday, just exaggerated. But you know, when you look kind of like the popularity over the years of like over fender kits on street cars that kind of like replicate that look a little bit, it Mm -hmm. completely makes sense why like there is interest in it. Um, no doubt there's interest, but that there's it's broad enough to merit these budgets. Well, I mean, also like there's. There's passion at the top, right? Like Jim Farley loves motorsport. Of course. So it makes sense that like, you know, Ford would be, you know, investing heavily um, in sports car racing. Like it's, you know, a lot of these things kind of trickle down from like, what is the upstairs brass like? Well, okay. That's a great point. And I wondered about that too. I heard an interview with Denny Hamlin once. He's a NASCAR team owner and driver. And uh, they were talking about why they, you know, the NASCAR and the teams are in a big fight for the TV money. They mm-hmm. want to get a bigger slice of that revenue because the sponsorship revenue is going down. And what Denny said as a team owner, he's like, look, the average uh, tenure of a chief marketing officer for some of these big companies is 13 months. 
So if you happen to get uh, a CMO that enjoys racing, thinks there's value in it, you're good. And then they're gone, and the next guy comes in. What's the, what's the next guy or gal comes in? What's the first thing they do? Oh, my predecessor was an idiot. Get rid of this. This doesn't do anything, right? Right. Yep. Okay. Fair. I'm sure that happens all the time. But Ford was doing road racing, you know, the GT program, mm-hmm. uh, long before Farley be- took over as CEO. Okay. And then him notwithstanding, he is passionate about racing. He races on his own. But that doesn't uh, answer for all the other companies that are in it. Right. Well, Maybe. I mean, I do. Yeah. I mean, I'd have to wonder, like, I mean, OK, why? Why is Porsche so popular? Right. They have a long standing history of, of, of racing and motorsport. And, you know, if you're looking to kind of lift the overall brand, I mean, being successful on track shows engineering prowess. Oh, I'm not going to argue, but like, yeah, you and I have known this forever. But right. the fact that these car companies are recognizing this. I mean, what I, you know, I mean, what Acura won the last three Daytonas. Acura won last year. I don't know about the last three. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really think that translates into like the RDXs I see on the road, but I'm glad they're there. <laughs> ah, but I talked to the Acura guy when I was down at the race last year and it's going to take that company a while to sort of embrace and its streetcars, what they're learning on the track. He was really blunt. He's mm. like, he's like, we, I don't know what happened. He's like, we were just idiots. We lost it. We had this performance image. We went somewhere else. We don't know where we're at. I'm telling you, we're back. We're a sports car yep. company. We're a performance-based company. So that's why we need to be racing. I I totally get this. It always made sense. But in the, let's say the environment where just not that long ago, we were essentially being told that cars are really, they're not tomorrow. Nobody really cares. Right. They just want to get place to place. And so you're going to be driven by some robot sometime in the near future. Not only is that future further and further away, and it may happen. I don't, I find, I don't want to commute. You know, I can have somebody drive me to the office, but you know, the, the BMWs of the world, I get it. They have to be in racing, but Acura, Cadillac, Ford, I mean, BMW to some degree, they've been a performance brand, but again, look at their lineup. It's not really performance oriented. No, I mean, they, I mean, they've certainly lost the way. Um, so, yeah, w- Racing is is the thing. I mean, I mean, yeah. this is kind of amazing. I'm here for it. As long as they're willing to do it, I'm I'm here to consume it. It's okay. So you it. were you were involved in professional racing. It was WRC racing, right? World Rally mm-hmm. Championship. That's the top yep. level of the stage rallies. Uh, you were yep. doing it with Ken Block, and who was the sponsor back then? Oh God! Uh, primary sponsor. Ford? Primary sponsors were Ford and Monster. Okay. Uh, Monster Energy. And then there were a bunch of like smaller brands that would kind of come in. Like, you know, for a while it was Pirelli, then it was Toyo. Um, we had a bunch of motor oil partners throughout that time because that would that would cycle out when they had money. So every like two years, it'd be somebody else because like they'd be on a different marketing spend. So Yeah, sure. Just like we said, 13 months, right? Yeah, so yeah, what exactly. was Ford looking for? I mean, Ford was looking for eyeballs. You know, I mean, they first kind of, they brought the Fiesta over here in what was that like 2012 2010 yeah i mean yeah. Like, oh we're gonna smell we're gonna sell small cars here um they did like the fiesta academy which was like a tv series that aired on i don't know some sort of like buy they did on like spike tv or something back then or right you know maxim tv or whatever it was um and then yeah it was just trying to drive small car awareness i mean they had a bunch of different drivers at one point and they were all ex action sports kind of people like Brian Deegan, they had Tanner Faust for a while. Um, 
you know, they spent good money on it. And that was all that was all domestic here for like Global Rallycross, which uh-huh. was not WRC. But WRC, right. they were still running the fiestas through uh, M Sport. Oh. So you know what's so interesting to this? You know, um a lot of the fuel economy regulations say you have an average fleet fuel economy. And mm-hmm. you know, we know in this country everybody buys the pickups, right? Big cars, burns a lot of gas. So then to offset that, they need to sell a whole bunch of small fuel efficient cars. But as we know, in this country at least, that is hard, if not impossible. Yeah. And and so, I mean, you got to, I remember that era because the Fiesta was a great little car, fantastic little car. Yeah. Fiesta ST is like a fun. The ST is another another level, but just a base Fiesta, super cool car, really well priced. And then on top of it, they spent all this money, like you said, in motorsports and racing and, and, and celebrities saying, this is a cool car. Please buy it. And it still didn't work. And the car is no longer here. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not surprising though, because I mean, while I have enjoyed spending time in a Fiesta, especially in ST, I mean, even Focus RS, um, I love them. They, they're fun, but I feel like I'm going to die the second I'm at like a stoplight next to any standard, really? you know, 2,500. Yeah. Like it's just, I mean, they're safe enough, but <sighs> you're, you're going to get, really mangled oh i know i mean i drive miatas all the time so i'm kind of used to it and i don't i I drove your miata it was the single most exciting and terrifying experience i had last year (laughs) well good i'm glad you got to sample it it is kind (laughs) of terrifying but i see my kids drive off in it and i'm like what did i do oh i know yeah but anyway, yeah. okay, so back to racing. That, that's why this weekend is such an exciting time because not only is the race happening, it's the start of season, the end of winter, we have um, a competition on a level that is is almost the fiercest in the race's 60-year history. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the top class, the GT, no, it's not GT, it's the LMD something. It's a hybrid car. It's kind of like a Formula One car with fenders. You've got BMW, you got Porsche, with Penske, Penske, Roger Penske, multiple yep. Indy 500 winner, Acura, Cadillac, Lamborghini's now in it. So that's um, five or six manufacturers. Andretti's one of the teams fielding it. You've got top-level drivers, and they're going to be going at it for 24 hours. These are not endurance races. They're sprint races now. So, I mean, just the, we have no idea what the outcome will be. And then in the GT classes, which are the production-based ones you're talking about, I'm not going to name them all, but there's the NSX, there's now the Ford Mustang, mm-hmm. there's the Corvette, there's Porsche 911s, Aston Martin, Lamborghinis, McLaren. I mean, this is like, it's going to be a fascinating race because anybody can win. Yeah. Yeah. A lot can happen over 24 hours. And uh, nighttime is obviously always the hard part. Now, but, put, your, um, put, your, put yourself, if you can, I mean, since you've worked on these race teams, What's it like being in the pits during these big weekends? Uh, a lot of kind of, the problem is like it's hurry up and wait for a lot of it, right? Oh. Like you go out, you do the testing, hurry up and wait. Then you got to go out and do practice, come back, hurry up and wait. And that's, you know, I wasn't on like the mechanical side. The sure. mechanical side has things to do. Engineers got to pull data and they got to kind of like make adjustments and yeah. replace things or whatever. But like if you're a driver, it's a lot of hurry up and wait. You know, you might do right. some like little like, physio activities, hand-eye coordination things, like uh, go for a jog, whatever. But I mean, like, the reality is you, you mostly sit there and you look at your phone and have a sandwich and just kind of 
wait. <laughs> <laughs> Once you're going, it's great. But I mean, it's it's pretty boring kind of waiting for it to kind of kick off. Yeah. What's your opinion of the uh, Daytona as a track? Oh, God. Um, so the only time I have been to Daytona was for a global rallycross event. And it was because the organizers were cheap as shit. And it was available in the middle of the summer. So if you've ever been to oh my gosh that part of Florida in the middle of summer, um, you can imagine how horrifically hot it was. Um, so I have a very low opinion of it, but I I like it this time of year, obviously. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I've driven, driven on it. Right? I, ra- I raced on it a couple times, and um, you know that track was built. I want to say sixty five years ago, and it was you know mainly a NASCAR Super Speedway and oval. They put the road course in the middle of it, and then they immediately started hosting three and six hour races. They called them Continentals. Um, and it was a way for sports car drivers to do something in the winter for sure. Uh, but the, it's, it's reached some status that I, I never quite understood because the track's kind of like, yeah, you know, you, you're, you're flat out around the banking a lot that has its own excitement, but the rest of it, it's, you know, it's not one of those awesome flowing up and down over Hills. It's a very sort of, um, plain course. Well, that's, but that's the hard part of that race, right? Is that they want not too much aero drag for yeah. like the straightaway stuff because you got to go fast, but then they need it for the corners because there's some tight turns there. There's like some, like what? Well, I think there's only, there's only really two turns, maybe three that the downforce would be big. Turn one is, is a very tricky turn because you're on a, you're on this uh, banking on the track, on the oval part, and then you transition to the flat and uh, the turn starts as you're braking. So you're braking and turning at the same time. And so that's really easy to mess up. You're a little bit more on the brakes. You lock up a wheel, not enough. You overcook it. And so that's one. And then there's a kink on the, kind of about the middle, which depending on the car you're in is, is a scary turn. And a lot of times you could take it flat, but you really got to have the stones to do it. And, and the cars with downforce, <laughs> they go through flat, no problem. And then it might be this chicane they do on the other side. The thing I remember the most interesting uh, was that as big as it looks, as big as the oval looks, as it, it looks wide enough that you could put four semis, you know, sideways going around, or not sideways, but next to each other going down it. But when you're in it, and I was in a slower class, and I was at the bottom of the track, and I'm, you know, bouncing and going along, maybe 140, 150, Feels plenty fast. And then one of the faster cars going by at like 180, 200. Just blows your Never was off. not terrifying yeah. for me. Because it would move the car. I'd be like, oh, wait, there's the wall right there. And then I'd start thinking like, boy, it'd be really bad if I got a flat right now, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's what I. <laughs> <laughs> right. And the second you start thinking like that, your race is over. It's done. That's what I, like yeah, that. All those times I'd be like, am I really a racer? I don't know if I'm a racer. Because I'm thinking this. Do you guys think about this? And they'd be like, no. What are you doing? Why would you think about that? I'm like, I, I don't know. I can't help it. Yeah, so, yeah. You need, I, that, a, you need a faster car so you don't have time to get bored and think <laughs> on that straightaway. Yes. <laughs> so, but I'm looking forward to it uh, just because of all the that intrigue. I'm a little sad I'm not there. I like being around that community because, um, you know, it's so passionate. Mm-hmm. And they love what we love. They love to drive. They love sports cars. And they... It sort of loves all cars because they love classics too. So whenever I'm down there, it's it's amazing. They they recognize what we do, and they've seen our videos and read our magazines. So it's I don't know, it's a fun place to be. Well, it's also it's um, it's less pretentious, right? I mean, like you know, mm-hmm. going to F1 races is great, but there's so much emphasis on just like 
the spectacle and the caviar and the dump. Sure. Right. Whereas like this is very much like, no, we're we're in Florida. It's we're Central Florida. <laughs> we're at Daytona Beach. We're Daytona, Florida. yeah, we're Daytona Beach. <laughs> like we're there and it's uh let's we'll have a good time. Then we're gonna right. race for twenty four hours. Yeah. yeah. So it's a good event. I like it. I mean, the thing is domestically for I mean, again, I like the sports cars. So like it's you know, the prototypes are they're fine, but it's not relatable. Right. right. But who do you who do you have your money on between like Corvette and let's say Mustang? Well, this is the Mustang's very first race. Um, and it's a new class. It's a GT3 class, which is not to get all technical on you, but it's a set of rules. It's global and they can all race all over the world. And the big thing with the GT3 cars is that they are selling these as turnkey race cars. And so Mercedes does it. Ferrari does it. Uh, now Corvette's doing it and the Mustang's doing it. So between the two, it is it is going to be an epic battle only because Pratt and Miller is running the Corvettes and they've been doing that for decades. Mm -hmm. Then the flip side is company in uh, Toronto called Multimatic is running the Mustangs and they're no slouches. And then right. you have some big Ferrari teams, Aston Martin, the McLarens with Faf racing at a, so whew, all really, really good drivers. It's going to come down to who doesn't blow it. And <laughs> life in general, life in <laughs> <Who> general. <does? laughs> so I, the bag. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, uh, how about we do this? Just because uh, there's all this that 296 Ferrari is the best looking car out there. So I'm gonna call it for that. How about that? Oh wow, that's a hot take. And there's a I lot of them. I don't think I, I don't think I agree with the 296 being the best looking. You don't? No, I'm. You're wrong. Uh, listen, I'm I'm backing the boys in blue on this one. I'm going I'm going, must, I'm going with the Mustang. I like how that thing looks, and I like the fact look. that they've got the the GTD coming down as like kind of a, a trickle down. Like, hey, here's a streetish the street version. Car. Right. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I'm not going to be able to get one, but I like it. Well, the I met the guy. He, uh, he came on my rally last year, uh, Larry Holt. He's sort of the chief designer, engineer, creative wait, guy. What's his, he, wait, wait, you do a rally. Yeah. What is your rally? Mine? Yeah. Oh, I just get a bunch of group together, friends who like to drive, and I organize it for a couple of days, and I plan the routes, and we're going to stay here, and we're starting at this time at 9 o'clock. If I see you, I see you, but I'm leaving at 9. All right. Goodbye. I like it's, it. It's super fun. So he came on, and uh, he was telling me about the rear suspension in this car, and it, that GTD is what you're talking about. This is a street version of the, the race car we're going to see this weekend, the Mustang race car. And it has this really fascinating hydraulic system and um, suspension. So what it does is it has basically two spring rates. It has a soft spring rate. So when you're on the road, it's kind of compliant. And then when you want to get to the track, you press this button and the hydraulic ram actually pulls it down and compresses that soft spring. So now you're just going to be out on the track on the stiff kind of racy spring. And so it has all kinds of cool stuff like that. So I'm with you. That car is is going to be really pretty neat. Yeah. Be fun. I yeah. I like it when the the race car stuff really does trickle down to something that's available to the that average is consumer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, sure the the previous generation uh, Mercedes uh, AMG GT GT3 cars, right? Spectacular looking, like yeah. big long nose, whatever. And then, sure, I mean, you get a black series, but it, okay. Really. Well, the the Corvette, you know, it's using the flat plane crank V8 of the Z06 in the race car. 
Yeah. It's detuned a little bit. So there is a fair amount of it. And if you talk to them, that's kind of one of the reasons they made it was so it make a better race engine. So I think, you know, the, the, um, the people I talk to in racing, because I've been asking this question, like, why are you guys spending all this money in racing, especially a sports car? Because, you know, the, like we talked about, the viewership's pretty small. I love it, but they were really poignant about, no, there's a whole bunch of, like, this technology transfer mm-hmm. we're learning, and then they also really like it as a people-developing uh, exercise mm. because the racing is such a quick way to try new ideas and see if it works, yes or no. And it creates a culture of, you know, fast pace and you know, experimenting and failure is okay and all that stuff. So they're obviously seeing value in it. Yeah, no, I think, again, for the for us, like the end consumer, like the enthusiasts, it's just, it's nice to see them still doing things that like lead to better cars for us on the street. Right, yeah. You know, we all have the fantasy of going and being a race car driver, but, it, you know, realistically, it's not happening for most of us, so. <laughs> yeah, it was a fun fantasy for like two years and then you realize... Uh, either you're going to fund it or not. So that that's you bring up an important point of this race is that it's a mix of professionals and amateurs. Mm-hmm. So especially in this GT class, GT is used to be called Grand Touring. It's you know it's for the uh, production based cars that you and I are talking about that really look like something you could buy and often are pretty close. There's a GTD Pro, and that's all professional level drivers in those cars. But then the same cars are in a class called GTD. I don't think they call it am, but it has a mix of amateurs and professionals. So the amateurs are somebody like me that has a lot more money than me and wants to show up and and race there. And mm-hmm. uh, so there is a fair amount of that mix between professional and amateurs, which adds another element. I don't know if that's good or bad on your stage, but I kind of like it. It's cool. I like. I mean, listen, it's what I would do if I hit lotto. Like I would do it too. Yeah, like why not? Um, I mean, you, I used to see that a lot with. Uh, WRC stuff as well. I mean, if oh, you got yeah. enough money, you can. Yeah, it's all, it's full arrive and drive. Like they handle all the logistics. They got they give you a guy that does the tires for you. Like really, they handle the catering, the hotel, like everything. Sounds nice. It's. I'd look at these guys coming. I was like, <laughs> man, that's a good setup. There was this um, there was an Italian guy. He was like the, he was the heir to some fashion brand. And he always had just like a matte green livery with like some sort of like offensive graphic on it. And just coolest dude in the paddock would go out. He'd crash. Whatever. Like, it wasn't Lapo, was it? La- Lapo no, it was, I wish it was Lapo. I wish yeah. it was Lapo. He's I wouldn't be sitting I wouldn't be I wouldn't be sitting here if it was Lapo. I'd be <laughs> I'd be interning for Lapo eternally at that point. Oh, totally. Yeah, that guy's got the eye. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but like the the gentleman racer arrive and drive thing is always Cool. Yeah, I don't know what the exact costs are, but I hear it's uh, upwards of a million bucks for this one race. I mean, it's serious coin. Yeah. I mean, again, yeah. racing for 24 hours. Right. So that's a motor and a gearbox at a minimum. And that's at a minimum. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's probably 150 grand right there. Yeah. Plus 60 grand in tires, plus yeah. the crew, plus the car itself. I mean, these GT3 cars, you can buy, I'm sure, but they're they're almost a million bucks. I mean, you know expensive. what a lot of these guys always skimp out on, which pisses me off. What? The livery. Oh, you don't need to, well. Do a lot of people. A lot of people don't actually take the time to spend on working with a good designer to have like a compelling livery. Yeah, but do you think it's because they they don't spend the money, or they just don't know who to hire? I think it's the latter. I think it's such an afterthought that they don't. I mean, listen. Part of part of being at the racetrack is looking good. Oh yeah, sure. 
I mean, that's, you know, you got a good looking car, you're going to drive a little bit better. Um, and I think those, I think some of those guys would be smart to spend on, uh, you know, and again, like you can't just do the car. You got to have like a suit. Who, wait, 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 wait. Okay. So this is a great topic because you were right on the ground floor. Like whoever you guys at, uh, Ken Block Racing found, those were super original, super cool. So this is where you're talking from, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, again, how do you stand out on the track? Right. Mm. Because let's say like you're not that good or you're not going to win. All right. But are you going to have the most photos of your vehicle on social media to show ROI for the people that are giving you money? Like winning on the internet is almost as good as winning on the podium. Granted, you don't get the Rolex. Um, probably better. <laughs> which is, it's honestly probably the easiest way to get a Daytona these days based on uh, <laughs> the back horse. But Fair I mean, enough. you know, winning on the internet with a good looking car and a good looking suit. Something to be said for it. Yeah. It reminds me of the STP guys. Remember those guys? Uh, mm-hmm. What's his name? Granatelli. He had an all white suit with STP logos all over it. Everybody hooked pictures of it. Uh, yeah, it's a good point. But where do you find them? Where do you find a good designer? That's uh, tough. I mean, you know, you got to find somebody that kind of understands um, what works on a race car, which is an interesting surface. To work. I mean, I was having a conversation with some of my buddies today. I mean, McLaren just dropped their 2024 F1 livery. And they're like, this is the same shit as last year. Yeah. Well, quick recognition has value. Yeah, it, to a degree. Yeah. But like, you know, you can also you can jazz it up a little bit. Yeah, you know. Well, I'm just going to tell you, it's so hard because I have this this Formula Ford, a vintage Formula Ford. It's a 1978 All-American Racers Eagle. And it's basically like a cigar with wheels. And um, it, when I got it, it was it was yellow. And I always remember Jesse James had this quote. He was going to go on one of these first reality shows. It was like Junkyard Wars or something. And as he's sitting in the airport, they told him he was going to wear this. This Everybody has to wear this jumpsuit. It's a yellow jumpsuit. And he's on the phone. He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, yellow is the color of the chicken. This is mm. a deal breaker for me. And he didn't get on the plane. So that has always been in the back of my head. I'm like, I can't have a yellow car. So I painted it the beautiful navy blue that is sort of AAR's colors. And I thought, well, I'll, you know, put some stickers on it. I do this. <laughs> it's such a lame effort. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I mean, and I don't listen. know what to do. I can't fix it. So that, that's why I was saying I don't think it's they don't recognize that they need that they just don't know where to get it. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's it, we we were very fortunate when I was involved in that kind of stuff because we would work with interesting artists and then yeah. have them create artwork that we would then work with our in-house guy to translate that onto the body of the vehicle and then oh, onto wow. like the race suits and everything else. Uh-huh. Um, but that guy was a he was also an expert at like vinyl applications. Yeah. Right. So he knew like what you get in terms of like materials and like the difficulty of kind of like, I mean, we did, we did a livery for Gymkhana 8 where it was a, a matte black with a reflective gold at certain angles that the light hit it just right. Wow. So then like we would actually have like big spotlights to kind of like light paint it in certain shots and corners. So like oh, the car cool. would go by and like the stars would kind of just like pop out in the livery like as you'd slide by. Um, so there's a lot, wow. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do like visually with the car. Yeah, to yeah. make it stand out in the field. And sometimes it's like really simple and plain, like the Aston Martins, right? Like when they were running just like British Racing Green with like that neon yellow kind of highlighter grill. That works. Perfect. Yeah, that works. Or like Corvette Racing, right? When they were doing this like yellow with the black on the back. Bad, badass, yeah. I mean. Old how, flying lizard. How much does that cost? 
that service? Uh, I mean, you might end up paying an artist anywhere from twenty to forty thousand dollars for a comprehensive graphics package, depending on how big they are. And then, oh my god, you know, you're going to spend at least oh my five god. grand in materials for the first wrap, plus all the spares, so like another call it ten, <sighs> plus the guy's time. Yeah, it's an investment, but it's also like if you're taking money from people, you want to look good. No, no, I get it. I'm just it's it, it's like. You know, that's one of those niche businesses that I just, I just love, right? There's yeah. somebody that's carved out a niche. They're really good at this and they're the person you have to go to and yep. they can command top, top dollar because they can't do it for everybody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. I mean, it's kind of like, um, I mean, the big, you know, Troy Lee designs for a long time was like the big helmet guy. Yep. Right. And now there's a few more. There's, a, I can't remember his name, but he was doing like, these like crazy hyper-realistic, um, Helmets in NASCAR, I think. Mm. I cannot. I, I have it saved somewhere on my Instagram and like my save folder. I'll mm -hmm. have to find it and send it to you. I mean, just, some of the helmet work gets to be really cool. Oh, there's, man. um, I mean, there's the guy idea. that did my helmet, which is Death Spray Custom. He's What's rad. it called? Death Spray Custom. DSC. Oh, um, they're good. He did a lot of work. Yeah, he did a lot of work for us back in the day when I was with Ken. And then there's a guy in LA, Ornamental Conifer. He does really nice helmets too. So. Even just like that, even just like a nice painted helmet will give you a little more confidence when you're stuck at 140. <laughs> you see, I never painted my helmets because I like the idea of like I, I'm not here for the show. I'm here for the driving. That's what mm. matters to me. And I don't need all the fancy stuff. Nope, 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 nope. It's all about like what you do on the track. You're a purist. A, a purist. Yeah. So I was never painting that. And plus, like I said, I had no ideas how to paint the thing anyway. So anything I would do would look dumb. So just, I was just I was just writing down. I, there's a friend of mine who lives locally. He designs cars for Hot Wheels. And he's offered. He's like, yeah, I'll design your race car thing. And I've never taken him up on it. Now I'm like, oh, I'm going to have him do my could, Formula 4 and see what he does. Listen, could be a fun experiment. Might be a really fun experiment. So on tap, we uh, I've interviewed Marshall Pruitt, a longtime friend of mine. He's been um, a race engineer. He grew up around racing in California. He's reported on uh he's been a motorsports journalist for a couple of decades i remember i was he and i hooked up when we formed a little race team racing miatas he was just transitioning from being a race engineer to being a journalist and i remember telling him like marshall don't be an idiot this is not a growth industry but like all of us you know he couldn't couldn't help it he's like he did it anyway and he's really been successful and he knows the sports in and out so you know, I really wanted to get in touch with him and talk about what's going on behind the scenes, what are the big storylines, and so that's this interview we have today. I thought it was super fun and I hope informative. And um, you know, racing is a bit of a niche, but it's the heart and soul of what we love, which is the art of driving, right? Correct. Okay. Thank you, Matt, for your time. I appreciate it. Okay, everybody, here comes Marshall Pruitt. Hey, everybody, this weekend is the start of racing season, which is awesome. I'm so excited. Um, it starts every year with the 24 Hours of Daytona in Daytona Beach, Florida. Now, this is a race for what's known as sports cars, um, kind of like the 911s, the Chevy Corvettes. And also, they have these oddly named prototypes, which are sort of like Formula One cars with fenders. Now, I love this contest, this race. It's really America's version of the 24 Hours of Le Mans. And really, that's why I'm beyond excited to indulge my curiosity here today with uh, 
Today's guest, Marshall Pruitt. Now, Marshall is a racing expert. For the past two decades and more, he's covered sports car racing and IndyCar and more for Racer.com. He also hosts one of my favorite podcasts, the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. You can go to his website, marshallpruitt.com, and see all this stuff. Plus, he's got, I just saw the movie, which is really interesting, about a Formula One driver, Ayrton Senna, the most famous in the world, coming over to test IndyCars. Uh, but before Marshall got into journalism and podcasting, he was a race engineer, uh, mechanic, manager, and so his knowledge about this sport and the people is as deep as his passion is. So, uh, Marshall, I want to welcome you. Hi. Thank you for being here. Hi. I want to do this forever, Thanks, by the Larry. way. So I hope you got some time. It's going to be a while. No, I'm happy. But you buried the lead. What's the Webster, lead? What's the lead? You and I ran a racing oh, team. Oh, that's Mazda right. MX-5 Cup. You were my driver. That's right. This guy finished fourth in his debut race the first ever uh mazda mx5 cup race so yes. yeah he's good at sitting in a chair and asking questions but him, him a good race car driver too but that's all right thank you very Look. much uh, i have a trophy full it's kind of like um meet the parents you know when the guy goes over he's got all the second third place trophies <laughs> uh so glad you weren't about to start talking about you could milk anything larry but okay good to go good to go uh so you're in california you're you're going to be going out to the race um so maybe the first thing, you know, I, I want to give people a little bit of an overview of why you and I love this so much. Um, this big oval was designed for NASCAR and in the middle of the oval, there's a road course. It's about three and a half mile, 12 turns. Um, the, the, the cars are on the oval for a long time, a long sustained speed. It's very much what they call endurance, like which car breaks first. It's been going around since 1966. Um, just a lot of history there. Uh, I guess my, my question is, is the interest is growing after it's gone down. I noticed when I was there, just a lot more fan interest, manufacturing fish, all this stuff. Is that a fair observation? You've been watching as long as I have. Yeah. IMSA has a couple of things that no other racing series can boast. I mean, just period. And it's not PR. It's just what it is. Yeah. Don't know if the number is 18 or 19, Larry, but they have between 18 and 19 auto manufacturers fully invested in their, their overall forms of racing. There's no other series in the world where I'm not just talking about there's 18 or 19 different models of cars or marks that show up. I mean, manufacturers who were signed in contracts with IMSA who are all in on racing with them. That's an amazing yeah, statement, yeah. right? Of, it's healthy. Yeah. There's vibrance. There's some other series we look at. Formula One's doing well, right? More manufacturers coming in. Uh, I mean, there are definitely some series that have great health. But you look at IMSA and go, if between 18 and 19 auto manufacturers say, we want to sign up with you and race in your series for any form of motor racing, that would be a phenomenal statement. This is the reality with what's going on in IMSA. I think the big bump that you mentioned, we saw that last yeah. year, 2023, yeah, yeah. when IMSA introduced the hybrid GTP, the Grand Touring Prototype cars, Acura, BMW, Cadillac, and Porsche, all factory-funded teams spending... <clears throat> I don't know, Larry, 50 million a year, 100. I mean, whoa, crazy whoa, numbers. Whoa, 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 wait. Crazy numbers. I, that was one of the questions I had for you. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, this isn't cheap. 
There are no coupons. There's no sports car <laughs> racing discounts here. But that's another cool thing. That's another kind of totally cosign, cool. right? Yeah. Look, it's one thing if like 18 people, 19 manufacturers show up because it's really cheap. There's no discount aisle in professional racing anywhere. And with these hybrid GTP cars, very high tech, they look gorgeous. They're fast. They do all kinds of amazing things. But these are not small investments to come play. These are big. So that's the other cool thing, right? Again, it's not hype. It's just reality. Hey, we want to be in your series. We want to race hardcore, go for championships and glory and all of that. And we know it's going to set us back a decent wedge of money, but we see the value. That's... We know if we spend that money to go race, we'll get that back at least in marketing, promotions, car sales, brand imaging, all the things you know about. There are a lot of reasons why manufacturers go racing, but that's another big thing where you go, wow, that's cool. And those manufacturers, those four, have really helped set things alight in terms of popularity for IMSA being on the rise last year, whether it's TV ratings were up, attendance was up at the tracks, like the things you hope for. Those are all the positive markers that we saw, Laird. We have a fifth manufacturer coming in this season, Lamborghini. Right? There won't be at Daytona. They'll be at round two yeah. uh, at Sebring in Florida. But Lamborghini's coming in in 2025. Uh, Aston Martin will be there with the Valkyrie, which is going to be the best sounding thing ever. So Can't wait for that. There's a lot of, that's all great. Yep. And then you kind of park that and you say, so that's what happened last year. IMSA after kind of bubbling along and being great racing, but not as embraced as you'd hope by fans. It shot skyward in 2023. So how do you follow that up? Well, <laughs> if 2023 was the year of GTP, 2024 is the year of GT. So the things that I would think uh, Wait, folks can relate before to we get, most. I don't mean it, I want to interrupt there because yes, it's Ford versus Chevy again there, and I want to get to that. But first, I just you said a lot of stuff there. I just want to back up a little bit. IMSA is the the sanctioning body that that puts the race on, puts the series on, sort of owns it, makes money. It's owned by NASCAR, and um, what a lot of things you said there. I want to dig in a little deeper on because okay, sure. if I have this right. The big global racing series for the lack, I mean, I, I think we'll just limit it to IndyCar. They go to Indianapolis 500. You have NASCAR and then you have Formula One, give or take, right? And road racing, sort of what we call IMSA for sports cars, has always lived on mostly, let's say, really well-heeled uh, amateurs like myself that can spend to go there and to race and it's gentlemen racers. And then the car manufacturers would, you know, they would parachute in and out every once in a while. And as a fan, you love these car manufacturer dollars because it means the competition and the car count is better. And um, I have a couple of things there. You said I the budget for this top class, there are, there are basically four races that go on at the same time on the same track and the 24 hours of Daytona, the different classes. That's what kind of the way I saw it. So the top class is GTD or I'm sorry, not GTD, the, the hybrid class. They're GTP. GTP. They're 50 million a year. I mean, that's more than a NASCAR season, isn't it? Mm, yeah. But keep in mind, if we're talking about independent businesses, small businesses, small, I mean, they got hundreds of employees, but, a NASCAR team for a single car for the season has anecdotally been 
20 to 25 yeah, million exactly. plus, but they have 38 million races per year. So it kind of makes sense. Yep. It costs a lot to go to a lot of races. Yep, yep. What is an operating budget? The actual cost to run a GTP car for 10 to 11 events per year. Right. It's probably not too far from what a, a NASCAR budget is. 20, 25, 30 million. That's for the operating side. Yeah. But keep in mind, we're talking about these are manufacturer programs. So separate from what it costs to assemble a team, multiple cars, drivers, pit crew and hotel costs and flights and meals and all the what it costs to go and do the racing part, which is, again, you can say generally 20 to 30 million per uh, manufacturer program. You then have what the manufacturer spends, Larry, to do all the cool nerdy stuff. That's amazing. Which is the wind tunnel testing sure. and the development. engine development mm. and train, right? And so you have that whole side, which is the kind of away from the racetrack part, making the machine better uh, Got from it. month to month, year to year. That's where you start to push to the 50 plus million. I. I, I want to say I'm celebrating this. I'm mystified. It's awesome. I was there at that race last year. And I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, um, that is an awful lot of money. And we're in, in an era when we're being told essentially, Hey, the cars are going to drive themselves. Nobody cares about driving. And now we have a racing series that you and I love, 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 but let's face it. The reach is pretty small compared to the big ones yet more than one manufacturer, more than any other series are spending big money because they believe in the power or they want to be associated with racing and driving and all this stuff. And I mean, would you have predicted this five years ago? Not even close. I just think this is, this is amazing. We're like in another golden era of sports car racing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, it has all the, the traits of a golden era and we just had one year. So I don't know if we can co-sign on golden era <laughs> after one year, but you know, at the same time, the folks who say cars are all going to be self-driving, nobody cares. Those aren't our people, Larry. Yeah. Those aren't members of our tribe. So they're, they're people who say earth is flat. I don't listen to them or <laughs> care what they say, nor do I believe they're correct. So the reality is if all those things were true, Cars are going to be self-driving. Yeah. Kids don't care about cars or technology and whatever. Great. I can tell you the evidence that that is not true is you have a bunch of manufacturers saying, we want to be there. Exactly. We're going to spend a ton of money. Yeah. Those manufacturers, those auto companies aren't dumb. Anybody who signed off on a big $50 million program per year would be fired instantly if they were wrong. So keep in mind, totally. these folks are having to make wise decisions, but you look out in the grandstands and go, hey, there's a lot of people. And thankfully, they're not all like me with gray in my <laughs> beard. By the way, this is like legitimately the last day of my off season. So I've kind of kept my winter beard. Yeah, I got to yeah. get a little more presentable <laughs> next week. But you look out and you go, hey, Look at those 25-year-olds yeah. and, hey, they're driving a Hyundai or they're driving a whatever. Hyundai is involved in, this, in IMSA as well. But you just look for the indicators of is this a false narrative? Is this all going to crash tomorrow or does this feel real? At least for those of us who go to the events, Larry, or tune in, you go, hey, there's an awful lot of people here and there's a lot of manufacturers. Yeah. And when those things are combining, we're having health and vibrance. So 
it feels like we're in the midst of something we will look back at and say golden era for sure. Ah, so we are in vehement agreement. That makes for a bad podcast, but again, we don't go and look, we're, we're also data guys. We're not going to proclaim something after one season, but we're trending. Okay. I'm so glad to hear it. Cause I, like I said, I love this stuff. I mean, at the race last year, I know exactly what you mean on the pit lane before the race, it was packed. You couldn't walk. And I've been there before and it was just a ghost town. So I thought this is incredible. Let's talk about these cars a little bit. These, uh, GTPs, they call them. And I did a piece for the Haggerty magazine, which you can get if you're a Haggerty Drivers Club member, by the way. And I was really fascinated by these because they're highly standardized so that they're trying to keep the cost down, meaning the, the central tub is the same, but they can use their, their own engines. Um, and it has to have this hybrid system that works on, I want to say the rear axle. The fascinating thing is the rear brakes are not, are electronically controlled so that they can vary amount of regen they get as they're slowing down to charge the batteries and they redeploy that. So they, they're trying to get the overall efficiency of the car to go up. Super complicated. Um, really, uh, it's a big control systems challenge, right? For all the electronics to work correctly so the driver can push it to the limit. You had a, a V8 Cadillac, you've got turbocharged cars, you've got all these different formulas. So I mean, there wasn't like one answer to how to make this car go fast. And I'm just, I mean, that's what racing is about to me is this different ideas and experimenting. And, you know, everybody said last year, the Acura's got this high revving, I think it's a V6, right? Yep. 2.4 liter twin turbo V6. Yeah. Revs like 9,000. They said, this thing will never make it 24 hours. It's going to blow up. Well, they won. And, you know, here we go again. I, I, I just, just tell us a little bit about the car, if you wouldn't mind. And, and. What do you like about it? What is it? You know, they're really fast. Can you do that? Yeah, of course. Actually, just uh, to uh, correct one thing. Yeah. The only thing that is spec on the GTP cars is the energy recovery system. The tubs, the cars themselves are all built completely bespoke and unique to each manufacturer. So Acura went to the French race car constructor Oreca. Yeah. They built their ARX 06. Cadillac went to Italy's Delara, which also makes Indy cars and F1. They do a ton of stuff. They make the Cadillac. Uh, Multimatic in Canada mm-hmm. makes the Porsche, the Porsche 963. Mm. Uh, and BMW actually also partners with Delara. What's coming with Lamborghini is built by another French company, Liger. So there are truly u- wholly unique prototypes ah, for each manufacturer okay. designed to their spec. Uh, but the cool part about that, Larry, since that isn't spec, is we have one thing about the GTPs that I think has really made them distinguish and, and create more interest. I know what you're going to say. There's more f- freedom in the look. Yeah. Right? Freedom in the design. Mm-hmm. So there are some prototypes you look at and they need to put a sticker on it for the brand for you to know what it is. You can look at the various GTP models, and I think within a short amount of time go, I know what all of those are because they feature some very different looks, which I appreciate. I couldn't agree more. That's the hard part. That's the hard part about prototypes over the years. GT cars, super easy to tell what's what. We know those, but that's another area that's been distinguished. But the thing I love, to to your point, we have Acura that took its high revving IndyCar motor, slightly detuned it, and is using that in IMSA. We have BMW that said, hey, we have this awesome 
DT motor from the DTM championship. We're going to turbocharge that and do some different stuff. We have Cadillac that said, well, folks kind of know us as big rumbling Americans, <laughs> so we're going to stick with the V8. And they did. It sounds and good. Yeah. Just right. It's phenomenal. And Porsche as well said, and I love this too. This is a throwback. Back in 2005 through 2008, in the former American Le Mans series, in the LMP2 class, they were the Porsche RS Spiders, yeah. 3.4 liter naturally aspirated V8s, Larry. Sounded great. They did. Revved a ton. Yeah. Super dominant. They said, you know, the base of that motor, which also has some road car elements to it as well, base of that motor is still pretty good. So why don't we take our old championship winning motor from 2008, freshen it, we're going to invert the heads, right? We're going to rotate the heads 180 degrees and do a hot V setup. We're going to upstroke it from 3.4 liters to 4.6. We're going to stuff two turbos inside the V. They have the world's shortest exhaust pipes, which are about that long. And they've said, look, it's a great foundation. Why build something brand new when we already have something in inventory that we could hot rod effectively? And that thing goes like gangbusters so just across the board yeah the thing you and i love larry and i think so many totally nerding uh, out uh, of your folks do is difference ideas i don't want to hear it's all spec well, nobody that i know of likes that we human ingenuity and ideas hey you can come up with an idea larry yeah and get it wrong and fail and so much in racing these days prevents that. So, so I love that instance preserved. Just to that. make sure some of the audience doesn't know, spec is a term that is used in the racing things to be mandated. It's like when we say spec, it means the rules say you have to run a certain part and everybody has the same part. So it's a spec part. So like IndyCar, for example, um, is, is, is pretty much a spec series except for the engine. They're all running the same, same chassis, the same suspension, the same tires. Here have to no option no, no option, option. The, the, everybody specifies use that don't touch it yeah yeah and now here I, I guess yes I'm celebrating this again I'm mystified that it's happened because all the stuff you talked about and the dollars invested is nuts but maybe you know some of the things the attributes you talked about especially the design I mean the cars are so effing cool they are just so cool I mean as a car nerd I see it and I'm like oh my god that is exactly what a race car should look like and there's six different ones and they all look slightly different and um i guess i feel very excited about it i hope my voice is uh communicating that i had a good time we reclaimed this that's the thing oh what do you mean we like we reclaimed that we the people have said (laughs) look quit giving us the spec nonsense oh yeah right yeah I, i nobody wants to show no this is Spec racing to me is like a school uniform, right? Everybody show up in their little, right? We all trying to look the same and you go, no, none of us live lives where all we want to do is just be absolutely unremarkable and and like everyone else. We're all individuals. Spec racing and whatever series that has embraced that, taken a lot of that away. I think that's maybe one of the other subplots that has connected folks to IMSA more starting last year with uh, with GT, the hybrid GTP cars of like differences. I can get into the nuances. It's the same thing later when we talk about Formula One. Granted, they've gone to a, a, their new formulas pretty rigid, but nonetheless, yeah. 
there are enough differences where fans can go, oh, I spot that difference on the Ferrari at this race, and that's different, right? Like, we like these things. I'm glad this, to see it's still being embraced. Uh, that's an opportunity for a lively debate, and um, we should uh, let's 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 dig into that a little bit. And what I mean is, when we say it's a spec racing series and all the cars are the same, the reason that's done is for two reasons: it's to reduce costs because if you give a racer another dollar, they will spend another dollar to make the car faster. And they will spend, spend, spend until one team can outspend all the rest. And it runs away with the race, which is you go to Formula One, that's what you see every race in and out. Red Bull outruns everybody. It doesn't mean they have the most money, but they figured out something and and they're going to win. You show up. And there's a lot. Some people say we don't care. It's the best team is winning. Some people say we want really close unknown winners weekend and week out, which is really what you have in NASCAR. And so there's a lot of different opinions on that, but that's where the spec racing comes from. But in IMSA, what they do, and this is something I really want to dig into you, it's a real like nefarious thing called the, they, they want the cars to be reasonably close in competition. They want to uh, enable a lot of different ideas to run close to the same speed. So there is racing, not a runaway so they have this thing called balance of performance. And they do. What is that? I refer to that as the, for at least for me, the three most hated letters in the English language, <laughs> BOP. Um, it's a, it, it's, I understand the construct. What it is, is this. Yeah. To your exact point, Formula One, which the most expensive racing series ever and continues to be even though a lot of the rules have tightened down and allowed less cre- wide open creativity mm-hmm. everything you mentioned about we're going to try and restrict the rules in many ways to keep costs within reason but there's still enough freedom there for a red bull or previously mercedes mm-hmm. to come up with a better design and mm-hmm. mollywop mm-hmm. everybody mm-hmm. different rule structure in IMSA, for example, where they say, okay, you can do a variety of different things with your GTP cars, yep. right? It's not wide open. Can't do anything, anything going anytime. But we realize that a five and a half liter naturally aspirated Cadillac V8 is going to have different performance characteristics next to the smallest motor, that 2.4 liter twin turbo V6 Acura. So if we think of Daytona, the first hairpin inside the track powering out of that hairpin mm-hmm. all that torque on demand instantly in that cadillac would in theory give it an a decent accelerative advantage yep. over a small displacement turbo while it waits for the turbos to spool up and all that stuff to hit there's a dead zone naturally what imsa does is say okay we've invited a bunch of different misfit toys to come play together. We celebrate you and want you. But there's some choices <laughs> on what type of motor, what type of arrow, weight distribute. Like there's, again, with the areas where manufacturers can choose to be different, Yep. keep in mind, uh, Acura, to my knowledge, doesn't have a big stonking NAV8 they might want to stuff into their car that aligns with anything they have that they sell on the road. I'm not saying V8s don't exist within the Honda Acura family. I'm just saying promotionally, small displacement turbo fits 
their marketing. That's what they go. Cadillac, we think big V8. They have two different things they want to achieve marketing and promotions wise. Got it. So they are allowed to use that. What IMSA does is comes back and says, cool. So we realize you all have various things. Those turbos, by the way, Larry, if we're talking about the end of a long straightaway, in theory, we're able to keep stuff in tons of air and making tons of big power where that Acura might not win off of a slow corner. But by the end of a long straight, boy, those turbos are going to be singing while that V8 might be running out of steam a little bit. Yep. They're so faster in different says, parts hey. of the track is what you're saying. Sorry to interrupt, but they're basically, the no. V8 might be faster here. The turbo car might be faster over there. They make speed in different yes. ways. Okay. And so what IMSA does is it catalogs a ton of data, uh, the proverbial million different channels of data on the cars, mm-hmm. looks at all that data. They have some predictive models and lap time simulation software. And after receiving that information from the cars, in preseason testing, they assemble the BOP tables, balance of performance. And so what that is, is looking at the various strengths of the cars and saying, okay, you're a little better here. You're a little weaker there. We're going to dial up or dial down with the individual chassis uh, some particular attributes. Maybe it's a minimum weight. We're going to go up a little bit on minimum weight here, a little lower there less weight, you should be a little bit faster, but maybe a struggle somewhere else. It could be how much turbocharger boost is allowed. It could be the air opening that feeds the the V8 that could be bigger or smaller, allows more or less air, regulates how much power there. Few different areas in which IMSA and other series that use BOP manipulate balance of performance, but it all comes to the point, Larry, of when we go racing, when the green flag waves, We're not trying to make the cars identical because then we just basically have a spec series. We want to make, give the cars the ability to play as equally as possible and let y'all decide who is the best after two, four, 12, 24 hours. It's so fun. I mean, I know everybody hates BOP, but essentially at the end of the day, each car has its own real rule book. And like you say, and that rule book, they, they sort of, uh, they do, they do try and adjust it over time. But the politics that this scheme enables is absolutely fascinating and it's kind of fun in its own right. Everybody complains about, you know, Team A is lobbying the rule makers that their car should be lighter because they're getting clobbered over here. And maybe they get that rule change. Maybe they don't. Everybody says they don't get influenced, but we're human. You know, Ferrari used to say, I'm not racing next year because your rules hurt my car and they would get the rules that they wanted, right? So, um, so balance of performance is really fun that way. I think it's this, it's it's this underground nerd race that nobody really knows about. You probably do, but I don't. And um, in that, the teams are trying to sandbag in the right place or never like like reveal their hand or how fast their car is in the hope that IMSA will say, "Well, yeah, we got to speed your car up a little bit or slow somebody down." IMSA flip side has got to do their own espionage to figure out, are we really getting the whole performance package of the car? And which, how do you do that? And, and, and what teams are better at it? The sandbagging than the others. I mean, it's, it is. So here's, I hear it all the time. Here's the fun part. So you definitely need to think of this as manufacturers sitting around a poker table. Yeah, exactly. Right. And they've got their cards (laughs) (laughs) and 
best part, uh, the person might have the winning hand. Yeah. But is begging. Yeah. Oh my, please give me some new cards, some better card. That's the thing where Larry, you know, this is the human side of a highly technical engineering form of sports entertainment. And we metal and wires, electronic, all these things where you go, oh my gosh, these are created in laboratories by scientists. You know, great. But what does it ultimately come down to? A bunch of liars. Totally. It's It's so fun. Right. The best part, Larry, (laughs) the, I guarantee it happens every year. And whether it's in GTP or one of the GT yeah. classes or wherever, any of the classes where BOP is used, Larry, we will go into the race here. Yeah. Having had some testing sure. done and right, everyone getting ready for the race. And like clockwork, the team that was <laughs> fastest will go on record with me and everyone else. Yeah. Oh my God. Are they trying to murder us? Do they hate us? How dare they sanction us and make our car so terrible and impossible to drive? And you're sitting there going, dude, you're P1. Yeah. Oh, but I mean, it's only because <laughs> everyone else was sandbagging. Totally. Right? Yes. Everyone else took a step back. But what are they trying to do to us? And you're sitting there going, I love you, man. Where else in sport would you win the Super Bowl or win whatever major thing? Oh, my God. I cannot believe all the things they tried to do to stop us from winning and how dare everyone else not win. And you go, what? So you get that. But then the fun, right? I'll just mention one example. One example of sandbagging, of intentionally trying to defraud your car's full performance capabilities to get a better BOP decision to make your car a little faster in the race. So this wasn't this past year, but not too long ago, a couple of years ago, uh, IMSA said, hey, at our big preseason test, we're cracking down because you guys are doing all kinds of funny business and you're fattening up your motors. You're not running lean. You're just drowning the motors with fuel and sapping performance. We're going to watch all that stuff and we're going to bring you in halfway through a test run and weigh your car and see where you're at. And nonetheless, folks still tried to sandbag and play around my favorite one was a team was out there running and running and running had a pro driver in the car the lap times were really good but not amazing Mm -hmm. and so they came back in and imsa can see a lot of things live through telemetry so you can see that driver on the throttle you know going into turn one they're on it to the last millimeter before breaking instead of lifting and coasting create a slower false lap time you could see through the data driver is giving it their all Mm -hmm. team car still a couple tenths of a second off of the outright right and they're saying you gotta help us i mean we're giving it all you can see we're giving and they said yep we agree we're looking at data you bet hey let's go to the scales Want to go to the scales? Why do you want to go to the yeah, scales? Let's go to the scales. Yeah. They bring the car over and find that it is 150 pounds heavier than expected. <laughs> Why? Because during this test, this test run, this yeah. little test session, the team didn't do as you normally would, which is put in a third of a fill the tank with about a third sure. full of fuel. They filled that sucker to the brim. So what did they do? They added a bunch of unnecessary weight yes. to slow the car down, but not a crave just enough 
while giving and through the telemetry they're giving it their all. But again, it's these little things where you go, yeah, guess who's not getting that BOP help they were trying to get through lying? Yeah. That team. So it's it's cat and mouse, uh, but it, how do you not love it? I think it's funny. And I mean, 150 pounds on a car like this, it's it's several tenths a second. And, uh, so that is a meaning, meaningful performance difference. Um, it's so fun to be in the pits and I go to talk to the teams and you, you hear this all the time. So you're used to it, but I don't. And I go to them and I say, you know, well, I mean, this team seems to be, um, you know, right about at the limit. So maybe they don't deserve an adjustment. And of course the team I'm with was like, Oh, total bullshit. They're running old tires from last year. I mean, those guys got so much in the bag. I don't even want to hear it. And if I don't get my thing, I'm going to go. And, and, and I just like, you know, I write it down and I just totally laugh. And it is a soap opera that it could be its own reality show in some way. Larry nerd reality show. Every, every, there's not a single person in a series (laughs) that uses BOP. Yeah. Who could ever be like a member of the mafia? Every single one will tell everybody else's secret, try and get everyone else indicted to save <laughs> yeah. themselves. It'd be a paddock full of people in the witness relocation program. <laughs> because to your exact point, us? Oh my gosh, we're we're, we're playing flat as out. fair as we are. But the guy next out. to us, yeah, those people next to us. Have you seen what? The, I mean, it is ratting people out nonstop. It's I love it again. I do too. You, that's what you get. It's everybody doing that. Yes. You go to the one next door, you go, they're cheating. You go next door, again, I love it. I lo- you don't trust any of them, but you appreciate the amusement. Yeah, it's always been an arms race. Um, and the one thing I, I, I wondered about, and I think they fixed this uh, when this this sort of idea first started, where you could get the close rating. Obviously, it's working, or the manufacturers wouldn't have invested so much money in it. So everybody's pretty happy with the system as much as they complain. Uh, but I always wondered like a Roger Penske who's fielding the two top Porsches, right? His organization and the funds that they have. And then the people that they employ are basically like the top, top, top level engineers and data people and electronics people. And I always wondered, could a sanctioned body like IMSA hire that same level of talent and keep as current to sort of find all the tricks and the cheating and all this stuff, you know, which is very similar to the smoky eunuch days in NASCAR. I mean, Right. And that's what I mean. That it basically is it's, it's an intelligence race every weekend. It's the, the proverbial hiring the poacher as the gamekeeper. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To try and catch the other poachers. They do have phenomenal talent. I, we're talking IMSA. So specifically there, they have phenomenal people in their technical department. Yeah. They employ a lot of uh, external it's expensive services. Oh, it's very expensive, but that's what the manufacturers sign up for. Yeah. But to your point, and this is just another appreciation, Roger Penske, Penske, Penske. Porsche, Motorsport, Mount Rushmore, right? Oh my gosh. Penske and Porsche again. Yeah. They should destroy everybody. You know who didn't destroy everybody last year in GTP? Porsche, Penske, Penske. Motorsport. Uh, a, a one car team, Action Express Racing, running a Cadillac. Keeping in mind that Chip Ganassi Racing is the true like peak factory team. They're called Cadillac Racing, yeah. right? They don't go by Chip Ganassi Racing. They go by Cadillac Racing. Yes. The affiliate Cadillac program, Action Express, won the whole shebang, right? So again, the championship proof that when the championship, yes. when you get balance of performance right, 
all the manufacturers have an ability to win. That happened last season. All four won at least one race. But even a Titan, we're going in. We're like, all right, so who's running for second this year? Because Penske and Porsche should run away with it all. They didn't. So again, I love that, right? Who wants predictability in racing? Who knows what's going to happen this year? I, I and and the thing I loved about it was the uh, somebody from Acura, and it was the you know totally speaking our language that you know to your point that there's so many people out there like us and their car manufacturers recognize that this is such a great way to talk to them, and I said you know what is Acura doing here and he goes yeah yeah okay listen I'm gonna be straight with you Acura lost its mind the past four years we started as a performance <laughs> brand for drivers. We went somewhere where we were kind of chasing Lexus. Not really. We don't really know. But this is us getting back to our roots and what this company is about. And we're going to prove it by racing on the track. And totally, totally awesome. But where do people watch this race? Um, how would they consume it? You know, I, I I want more people to see it. What's the best way if you're at home, would you say? I mean, definitely follow you on um Twitter because you're going to do all your updates and it's also on racer.com. And so there's a whole bunch of stuff coming out. How else would you follow along if you're at home, Marshall? Well, the tradition for many years with the Rolex 24, yeah, since it is truly 24 hours of straight nonstop racing, it's been a long time since we've had a channel, like a cable channel that would run the whole thing start to finish. So what has been the norm for a while is it bounces around. So I think it starts on NBC and then it moves maybe to the uh, USA network and it bounces around a bit. Yeah. But here's, if you want to be a little bit of work, get it all without any question, Peacock, uh, their oh, the uh, NBC streaming platform. It's on, yeah, whether it's on your phone, at home, through whether, okay. whatever you use, Amazon Prime or uh, Roku, whatever. I would say the easiest or smartest way to do things is Peacock because you can get the whole 24 hours uninterrupted. Yeah. Uh, and so that to me is the easiest way. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it, even more amazing, right? There's not even a, a way to see the race on TV free yet. The manufacturers are still all about it because an, another part we're going to talk about, I want to move to next is what you call the GT class and GT is grand touring. It's basically production based cars. This is Corvettes, Porsche 911s, um, a whole bunch of other McLarens, Lamborghinis. I, I don't think there's BMWs in there anymore, but yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, they champion, still are? Won championship last year. BMW M4 GT3, Paul Miller. Okay, sorry, my mistake. GT. No, it's all good. So, you know, again, they, they do have this challenge, right? You have a Mustang, which is a, uh, now is going to be in this class. It's a car that is built and sold for 30 to $40,000. It has a backseat. It's front engine. It's, it's a much lower price point, a much it's sold in volumes. I don't know what do they sell. 80,000. And now it's got a race against a Porsche 911, right? Which you can't buy one from Aston Martin, Aston Martin, Aston Martin is there. No, no, I'm just an accurate NS. I mean, there's all big kinds of stuff, manufacturers, yeah. boutique manufacturers. It, it's a why I think there's again, 10, 10 manufacturers and IMSA's GT uh, classes. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but that's why they have to balance the rules so that they can all race each other. Because you have these like intrinsic differences that the Mustang has that it's going to make it slower than an i11. Yeah, follow. So you have a Ford Mustang GT3. That's the model name. Yeah, big old stonking V8 up front, front engine, rear wheel drive, mm-hmm. going against 
uh, I guess it's a longtime foe, kind of a Godzilla versus King Kong thing, in Ferrari. And what is the Ferrari? It's the 293 model. 296. Twin turbo. 296. Apologize. Twin turbo mid-engined. And you go, how? How? How do these things play together? But again, that's the awesome thing. Where Again, you say, look, for 40 grand, I got a brand new Mustang sitting in the driveway. For 40 grand, I got a Ferrari 296 spare tire in my garage. <laughs> I mean, these things that don't eat, right? Yeah, don't, they don't not exist even in nature the together. same price point. And yet, we're going to watch one of our friends, Joey Hand or mm -hmm. Dirk Mueller, or some of these great factory Ford drivers going up against factory Ford, I'm sorry, Porsche, Lamborghini, Corvette. So the Ford is returning to IMSA in the top WeatherTech Championship class. So it's GT3 Mustang debuting this weekend at Daytona. Phenomenal. Global debut in competition for that car. Thank you. Welcome back, Blue Oval. Corvette's doing the same thing with its first purebred GT3 rules uh, built Corvette Z06. And it has both factory uh, and privateers, you know, independent teams, yeah. non-factory teams who've bought the car that are competing. Same with Ford, same with, again, all the other models in the class. This is another thing that I love, Larry. So granted, if I was less of a fat bastard, and uh, spent more time becoming a better race car driver. And if I had the funds, I could take part in the Rolex 24 in the GT Daytona class, which is a pro-am driver model. Mm. You're by rule required to have pros and quote amateurs. Yeah. Those like us who love racing, do amateur racing. You have to obviously reach a pretty high level to get sure. licensed to do this. But you have the GTD Pro-Am class. One step above is the GTD Pro class. Same exact cars, but fielded by the factories. And so again, this to me is phenomenal. So you get to see the craziest, nastiest, best GT drivers in the world. Celebrate them like heroes. Yeah. And you have the proverbial next door neighbor good old fred right <laughs> he's gonna be right how do you not love that i know can There's they beat the, the factory aspiration and the human element too yeah. so yeah yet another uh cool component. okay so if let's say you and i were amateurs and uh we had the means and we go to a team and we say we're gonna field the car you and i are gonna field the car and we need a pro how much money let's say theoretically we're gonna do it in the uh uh the corvette c8 if we said and I know it's not how it works, but we went to a team and said, we just want to do Daytona. How much money would this race cost in one of those GT cars? Yeah. It's a million, uh, it's a million bucks, isn't it? Nah, not necessarily that much. If you're getting in for less than 500, it'd be a surprise. But 500. yeah, between 500. Amazing. This is, again, it is. But I know I mentioned that I referenced the Super Bowl already, but IMSA starts off the season with its Super Bowl, the Rolex 24 at Daytona. If we have the driving skills and can receive licensing and be approved to compete, and since we're not good enough for anyone to hire us, if we could go find enough silly people to give us a half million to a million yeah. dollars, we could do this. Yeah. Uh, where you cannot, hey, I, I signed up to be a wide receiver in the Super Bowl. You can't do it. Here, you can. Yeah, there, that is the the um, 
every man aspect of racing is totally true. I don't know if I told you this, but a couple of years ago, I did this exact thing. It wasn't like at the top level, but all the very professional drivers go there. I just never have sat in a midget before. I called up this company. I said, hey, would you rent me a car for the Chili Bowl? And they said, yeah, sure. I said, do you need to see like a racing resume? Like, no, no, no. Yeah. Just show up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you want to kill yourself, yeah. we're happy to give you the tools. I ever did. Like, <laughs> <laughs> have you ever have you ever wanted a barrel roll into a fence at a high rate of speed, embarrass yourself, and get soaked with uh, steaming hot radiator fluid? Go to the uh, chili bowl so with Larry Webster, boys and girls. <laughs> yeah, that That's was really phenomenal. scary. But yeah, it, it's a similar. Uh, a thing that egalitarian aspect of it that's super fun it it, it creates its own problems because what i heard on your podcast was like last year these gentlemen drivers or these less than pros you know they they just created a lot of accidents and they they might have changed the outcome of the race and a lot of time under yellows and there's there was a lot of hand-wringing about this and you would know better than i do but a lot of those amateurs that get to this level they seem to be pretty good to me aren't they Better than they've ever been. Yeah, yeah. And that's because of the tools available, Larry. Sure. So simulators, home simulators, yeah. some that are pretty simple, little bolt the thing onto your desk to these fully gimbaled, right? Sure. Things that folks use, but simulators, folks can do more training, off-track training than ever. Fitness levels are higher than ever. You still do, to your exact point, have this dynamic where if we're talking like martial arts, the pros are like triple black belts. Sure. Okay. They can just one shot. You're dead. <laughs> the best amateurs yeah. are brown. You know, they're not black belts, but they're surprisingly not crazy far away yeah. on occasion. And there's at least one every year at this race. There'll be somebody who's new and you don't really know. And you're not totally sure how they got approval to be here. And within very few laps of their first stint, you go, now I know I've never heard of you because they're not a black belt. They're like clear belt. Yeah. I mean, it is whatever the bottom is. Yeah. They just got, it's a, they're using like a shoestring yeah. instead of a, a proper belt. And you go, wow. And they usually get rooted out and are never allowed to return. But that is, you know, that, that's the baby run. That's the baby running around with the chainsaw kind of scenario <laughs> where you go, what yeah what's going on because you have these triple black belts in their prototypes and gt cars that are again pure assassins they see a little gap right through no hesitation does every amateur driver know to expect that are they looking in their mirrors and being super aware of their surroundings knowing to give space to that pro car and pro drive again these things don't always happen that's where we what that but that's also where if you didn't know uh which manufacturer signed up as the series official pace car supplier you find out pretty quick because <laughs> you have the big kerblamo yeah. and cars and parts to clean up on the track sure. and you get to see the pace car go around for a while but well uh, let's talk again, about that for a second because it's fun let me let me let me run some that and you can tell me if i'm on base or off base the pros it's a 24 hour race, right? So this is an endurance contest, not just for the machinery, but for the drivers and the people in the pits and all that stuff. Now, when you're out on the track and, you, and you know, these cars are pulling, 
they go through the corner so fast, your body gets sucked and stressed, even though it's not like physically moving in relation to the car. And then you're going at a really high rate of speed, which is itself kind of, uh, you know, it raises some tension. The, the pros, what I've observed and, you know, I've driven cars back to back with them. Their brain is at, let's say 20, 30% capacity out there versus even the really good amateurs are working at 80, 90. So there's less margin for error with the amateurs. So when something happens a little bit unexpected, the pros can handle it. The amateurs can't fair. Fair. Uh, I don't know if I would say 20 to 30% for a pro. Okay. I would just say that if we're looking at traits, that separate the best from amateurs who, whether through lack of similar amount of experience or just lack of similar talent, what you see with the best of the best is they look like everything's pretty easy and chill in the car while going at max 100% speed. Mm-hmm. Their brain, it's the processing speed. Yeah that you tend to find. So, and it's not as, I mean, we truly have had scientists and the most brilliant amateurs in racing. It's not a question of mental acuity and and whatnot, but for a hyper crazy hand-eye coordinated athlete, race car driver, Mm -hmm. their mental processor, if you think of that like a computer chip, is just a lot faster than the rest of us. That's why they in society in this facet being motor racing have been singled out as truly elite talent so they can do brave things of course i remember the first time i drove a lotus alon it's a 1966 lotus alon mm, through some little back one of my favorite cars ever um through some little backwoods here in northern california i was so excited to drive and hadn't been waiting to do this and going through a little path that I knew was really going to feel amazing. I got myself into the state, Larry, that was really hard to achieve at later times and told me you're, you can be an amateur driver, but never anything more. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Because in this one instance, I was able to have my brain sampling at like a thousand Hertz. Yep. Every little thing, just little like photographs, a thousand percent. All the data coming I'm in. I'm seeing everything on the road. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling right. Every sensory thing is speaking to me at this amazing rate. I couldn't reproduce that readily. And that's when I knew, okay, yeah. amateur, yes, but nothing more. For a pro, they're going 200-ish miles an hour into turn one at Daytona. Braking, turning hard left. While they're it braking. Is, it's not necessarily... Yeah, Amazing. and it's not off camera people as in the track falls away, but they're going so fast, going through a kink, having to slow. The back of the car is wanting to do nothing but rotate. Yep. Often there's a slower car they have to dodge around, Amazing. maybe someone in their way at the apex. And so you have this person, Larry, who can do something you and I can't, yeah. which is see all of this, digest it at this thousand hertz frame rate, make decisions. Feel what the car is doing. Feel as they break the weight, go on to the right front tire, load that, then settle, send that weight back diagonally across to the left rear. Then their brain pulls the right rear and says, what is it doing? Are you stable? Are you not? A lot of things happening, but in milliseconds, while placing the car, judging where to break, dodging this person, 
aiming at an apex, knowing that with all these constraints, I now have to move my hands this much to get there at this exact time, get back on the throttle, roll off the brake in a way that doesn't jar the car and unsettle its balance. And let's do this 12 times a lap for 24. I mean, you do these things, it's calculations a thousand times per lap. And these people do this while setting lap times within fractions of a tenth of one another, like a metronome lap after lap while competing with 58. There's 59 cars in this race with 50. So I'm just saying you take a person who can do that and then get out of the car and have a, Hey, Larry, how you doing? And talk to you like a normal human being. I was thinking them like astronauts coming back from the moon. And you're like, how are you able to function as a normal person? I can't grasp what you can do. Yeah. But that's why we're here. These yeah. I mean, all that sequence that you described is happening in under a second. And that's the other thing is in every car. Yeah. And they're changing. The and even the amateurs. Yeah. They're changing the, the application and the release of the brake pedal, which I think is the most. That's where a pro really, really makes their money is with the brake. The other thing I've always said is that the um, the real difference is a really good professional has unbelievable, like almost pathological confidence in their abilities. Like there is never, you know, you and I are in the car and I do all the time. Like, oh boy, I don't know if I'm going to make it through here. <laughs> These guys, no, 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 no. Of course I'm going to make it through. What are you talking about? Right? Irrational. That's the great line from Jalen Rose, the former NBA player. What? Irrational confidence. Yeah, it's totally, know, yeah, like, absolutely. Irrational. What? I'm the every time I'm in a car, Larry. I'm not only doing that, but I'm also like, I can't afford <laughs> to replace the fender. I can't afford right. to fix the gearbox. So, yeah, imagine being well paid, yeah. right, to do this, having this irrational confidence that you are basically riding a tiger and you believe you're in full control over it and also know that, Hey, if you manage to chuck that thing into the wall, not only do you not have to pay for it, but uh, you go, Hey, sorry, let me know when it's fixed. Cause I'm going to go again and I might crash it again. Like this is like the ultimate, you think about like rock and roll fantasy camp where people can pay money to go learn how to play rock and roll with the stars. Like imagine this is basically racing's version of a rock star the pro driver you get paid to have the most you have the most amazing job you get paid to do it you're on tv you tend to be adored by folks and you unless you crash a lot and get fired there's basically no level of failure that will truly limit your earning capability you crash a car it's expected the team pays for it you get back in you keep doing your job you have to deliver you and i of course but and granted, again, if you crash too many times, yeah, they stop inviting you to get into their car. But I'm just saying it's one of those pretty crazy things where you go, wow, talk about the safety net here where it you have to perform and deliver, as you said. But there's also an expected, yeah, we know you're going to chuck this thing off at 150 yeah. miles an hour a couple times each year. It's going to cost us millions to repair, but we're going to keep paying you and you're going to remain hired again. It's not a thing most people have in their job no, where it's well, like, why not? I, you think uh, I don't make mistakes every other day. Of course I do. I don't get fired for it. Sure. But when you see the guy who stuffed the FedEx truck into a tree, <laughs> you know, I don't know if they're back on the job the next day, Lair. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. The other thing that, um, the, the fear that they don't have, the other thing I, I, the TV unfortunately does a, um, it does a poor, uh, job of communicating what it's like out there. I did a support race before the 24 hours. I don't know how many, 15 years ago. 
And the thing that that really shocked me was when you're on this oval banking and it's really steep, it's so steep you almost can't walk up it. And you're going along and you're up on that wall, you're a few feet from the wall. And when you're on TV, it looks like there's all kinds of width of this track for other cars to come by you. But then every time a car would come by me, a faster car, it just scared me. Like I thought he was going to take my mirrors off. And it was like, I was driving in this straw, not even a thing. And that was one of those things you say, like, where do you realize you're not fit to be a pro? That was pretty indicator one. (laughs) Like my vision, something wasn't there, but I, I think, TV doesn't do a good job of, of representing just how tight those confines are and, and what small spaces that they're traveling 200, 210 miles an hour. I mean, it really is. I mean, I have all the admiration in the world. It's amazing. You think about driving down the highway and having that 18 wheeler blow by you and how that thing punching a huge hole in the air always, you know, yeah. it's going to move your car sure. over, maybe not a ton, but if you're just, you know, in your own world, listening to music, whatever, and all of a sudden your car gets knocked over a foot, it, you poop your pants. That's at 55 miles yeah. an hour, 65 on the highway, Larry. Yeah. What is that like when you're in a GT car yeah, yeah. and you have a prototype making 4,500, 4,500 pounds of downforce, yeah. punching this big hole through the air, mastering air. And what is that thing rifling by you at 30 or 40 miles an hour fast? You feel it. Uh, what does that do? Right. And again, you forget one foot. You're like, how did I end up over here? Yeah. And, but again, so to your point, you do this enough. Look, the, the, that wide receiver I mentioned in the Super Bowl, they're accustomed to running at top speed, leaping in the air, getting tackled, crashing to the ground, bruised, beaten up, sore. We marvel at what they do. We know that we could do the same thing, not at the same level, and we would probably suffer and never not want to come back the following Sunday. Mm-hmm. We look at a race car driver and say, look, I realize that I could try and mimic what you do. And I could probably through a lot of simulation work simulator and tra- I could come within a couple of seconds. That's about right. Three, five seconds maybe of a pro. Yeah. But that's going to have to be a very good lap. Cause I'm probably not going to be able to do that the next one. Cause I'm going to break too late or break to do the most embarrassing thing, break too soon sure. and then have to like step over to the throttle and reaccelerate into the, like, yeah. so again, some of us who look at these amazing athletes who do whatever it is that we do, that we appreciate, we realize that with training, we could mimic and play in the world a tiny bit, but I love your, your anecdote there, Larry, because again, you are a talented driver, which yeah. is, Awesome. Good amateur But driver. you're still rooted in normal person. And so your ability to be a little bit of uh, an interloper, not necessarily imposter syndrome, but for you to kind of have that, hey, I'm out here. What is going, <laughs> who are these crazy ass people? You do this all the time. Don't kill me, please. <laughs> just, like this is a prison sentence if you wanted me to do that. Oh my, what? I just love that idea though, because that is the difference. But to your point as well, other than having... The amateur drivers mic'd up really well for the broadcast, oh, so you idea. could hear them going. Ah! I mean, other than hearing them <laughs> scream, it's still it's hard to convey that yeah. unless you do it. Like I said, you can go out and do a little pickup football <laughs> game or basketball game and try and mimic. Yeah. It's really hard to know what it's like though, unless you're on the court with pros, and then you realize 
I ain't made for this. The, yeah. you, you guys are on some other stuff. Yeah, and it, it's a humbling thing. It's uh, it, you know, racing's really funny because you know you and I have run into so many amateurs that they don't. You suss out really quickly who has it and who doesn't. Right. You know, are you destined to be, you know, as good an amateur as you can be, or do you have these intrinsic inherited, whatever it is, qualities that makes you a pro. And, um, I think when people, I, you know, Marshall, it's kind of funny. I, now that I'm thinking about it, I think that's really hard for a lot of people that love this stuff to accept. And maybe you're around it more because maybe those folks in that do accept it, but Boy, that just seems I'm going on a tangent here. I just saw a lot of people just really like kind of upset about it. And it never upset me. I was like, no, yeah, makes sense. I'm not gonna make a living at this, but God, I love it. I'm still gonna do it. And I'm pretty geeked that the, IMSA is a, a venue for somebody that can also have that experience. That that is yeah, the way you put it's really touching. That's sweet. Well, the other thing too that's cool about this cool is IMSA. IndyCar, Formula One, NASCAR, pretty much all the major forms of racing, Larry, have a ladder system. Oh, yeah. Like if you're a baseball fan, most forms of racing have their version of AAA ball and AA ball. You can come up through the farm system, start off at kind of the lowest, call it easiest. And if you're good, you can hopefully keep progressing your way up to the top. So in IMSA, those silly little Mazda MX-5s that you and I raced back in mm. 2006, yeah. they're still going. Yeah, they're fun. That's the entry point. So if you want to, again, you know, 100 and whatever horsepower fury. Okay, look, you're not, you're going to be fine. It's great racing. You can learn a ton. But if you excel there, well, then there's a step up. You can go to faster classes mm. and you can go. And again, there's a graduation mm-hmm. instead of like, hey, next door neighbor, Want to go do the Rolex 24 tomorrow? Like, again, that's not happening. But if you do have a passion, you can start and work your way up and hopefully get recognized. Or if you're good at business or your family was good at business and you have access to their uh, bank accounts, you can pay to uh, keep moving up. So that access, I love. You cannot really do that in any other sport. I do. Uh, You know, I, we didn't, if, if, I'd love to just tell you like my chili bowl experience real quick, because Please. this was, um, you know, as, as my, my job at different car magazines, I've gotten in so many race cars. You actually brokered some of these deals. We did that, uh, Acura prototype. I drove the Audi Le Mans car, you know, you get in with for- an open face helmet. <laughs> yeah. Webster. I, I forgot that. With an open face. With- I'm going down the street and it's lifting up and I can't see. I'm like, you wore an open face helmet I to forgot- drive an LMP one prototype. I love you, Larry Webster. You're crazy I'll be fine. Don't worry it. about it. Just, just give me the key. Uh, <laughs> So it, this was the thing, like, you know, I've always had that, like, yeah, hey, I'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. This was the one time that really bit me in the, in the ass. And I, you know, I, I've watched this sort of midget racing on dirt. It looked totally fun. I can drift for days around skid bar. I'm like, no problem. I show up and I look at the car and I'm like, I'm not going to fit. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah. This is a medium jazz. You'll fit. No problem. I'm like, I am not going to fit in that thing. And they said, well, give it a try. I squeezed myself in. It was like sitting upright in a phone booth my knees were crammed totally against the firewall my back is totally straight vertical and i was like if this thing's on fire there's no way i'm getting out no way it's i'm like getting a pet out. carrier yeah it's like a it's pet, pet carrier, carrier basically and i yeah. thought well you know usually when i get out there it's sort of i'll just forget about it and i'll get out there never did 
every time I was out there and somebody hit me and they, they do, they hit you all the time. Every time I thought I'm going to flip, it's going to land <laughs> on its bottom and it is going to pulverize my back into dust. And I thought, well, I've paid my money. I better do it. And, you know, I kind of made it through and I kind of, where did I end up? I ended up like in the K main, which, you know, it goes all the way to like Z. So I thought, oh, okay, that's not even bad. The front bumper never touched. The guy who had the car, he's like, the back of your car is all beat up. Why don't you try using the front <laughs> a little bit? I was like, dude, I just want to get out of here. What are you talking about? You know, I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> That's phenomenal though. But yeah, to your point, and if we're just talking bravery, yeah, we go to the, like, most of these, you know, big races, big series that we talk about, they have safer barriers, S-A-F-E-R, it's all caps. Yeah. Uh, it's a special design thing to uh, minimize uh, and, and shed energy to save you and yeah. the tire bit. There's all these things to protect you in the event of a crash. And then you go to something like the Chili Bowl and realize, yeah, uh, no, that ain't how we're getting down here. Or you go to most short track racing like this, World of Outlaws and, and Midgets and Sprints and Modifies, and you go, yeah, no, it's something really hard that I'm going to hit. And as they flip, look, just go to YouTube, go to Instagram, go to whatever, and type in uh, short track racing crash, and you will lose the next month of your life watching the Larry Webster's of the world sure. go into uh, yeah. the air and flying. And so again, just in terms of like bravery, the folks who do this and do it well are them and world rally championship. Drivers, oh my God. Totally. Where you go. So the thing that's going to stop you if you crash at 145 miles an hour is a tree yeah. or, you know, someone's house, like, there is uh, something slightly wrong with folks who go like, oh, no, that looks like fun. Let me keep doing that. Yeah. Uh, and yet they do it and do it well for our amusement and our social media feeds are filled. I liked it. I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because there were times when I'd be on the track and it, and it was really fascinating that oval because the 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 groove, the, the, the inside groove would have some rough dirt and some traction. When you drifted out a little bit wider to the middle groove of this oval track, it was like ice. And then if you got all the way out and you were right up on the cushion, it had more. But the cushion, they would throw all the dirt as the cars went around. The cushion would be, I don't know, sometimes six inches deep, sometimes like a foot and a half deep. Like almost like a wall. If you touch it, you're going up. And I watched these pros. Every once in a while, I'd watch them go by. And man, it was the most graceful thing, Marshall. I mean, they got this thing pitched right on the cushion. Their hands are barely moving. They're just driving it with the throttle. And I was, I mean, that kind of racing, the one thing I really did appreciate, you really could get a sense of what the drivers are doing and how they're doing it, which you really kind of can't at Daytona. I mean, it, it was, I mean, it's virtuoso. It was, it was a thing to watch. I was, I was just, yeah, I was, I was, I was crying in my helmet. Harmon. It was, it was like, so hey, no, I wasn't as like, you should. <laughs> <laughs> and changing your diaper. I mean, those are all the things I'd be doing. Yeah, it was fun. So um, watch it on Peacock. Where else should people be following? They're going to follow you on Twitter because I think you pretty you update pretty regularly and then you post your updates. And then what else, how else do you get the story out about the race and as it's unfolding? Because you're going to give a lot more of the inside dope than you're going to get anywhere else. Where do, you, where do people get that? Yeah, uh, we'll be there working with IMSA, doing uh, a lot of digital video content. Okay. So IMSA, I think it's just at IMSA. I could be wrong. Oh, so you go but, to the IMSA website. Uh, IMSA's, yeah. 
uh, website or their X slash Twitter, Instagram and such. Got it. Uh, or, or Facebook if you're of a certain age. But uh, IMSA tends to post a fair amount of really good content there. Um, it's, I think, NBC. Uh, NBC Sports okay. uh, will probably be posting a fair bit as well. Okay. So hashtags. Um Definitely Instagram for sure uh, is pretty popular with a lot of video and photo content there. So if you're up on your hashtag IMSA or hashtag Rolex 24, probably uh, you're going to find plenty of content from all kinds of good folks. Fans too. That's another cool thing, Larry, which again, back when you and I were working together, like social media was a thing, but it wasn't really. Now, seemingly everybody in the grandstands or with their face pressed up against the fence is a content creator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And while there there's always some jokers, but for the vast majority, it's awesome yeah. because hey, you're over at this corner of the track seeing something and someone 2 miles away at the other corner just posted something awesome that you like that's the thing that I love. That's why I say you can go to some official channels, you can follow me if you have poor choice, but Really, it's being able to just look at what the overall content coming out from these events happens to be from fans, teams, drivers, everybody flooding social media with content. Uh, Rarely do you get steered wrong. Yeah, and and so many storylines, right? We talked at it about the top class GTP where it's Porsche versus Cadillac versus Acura versus more. But the big one for me that I'll be watching is this Ford Mustang coming back because the Mustang has so many rivals. Like you just mentioned Ford versus Ferrari repeat of that. There's Chevy versus Ford with the, uh, Corvette. There's, uh, can Ford compete with nine elevens? And there's a whole bunch of those cars. Can the amateur drivers in those cars somehow beat the pros and the factory teams they did last year. That's always kind of fun. So all kinds of stories. McLaren. McLaren's in there. Of course. Oh my gosh. Throw in. There's a little bit of sensitivity, I would say, about that. Hey, well, we got Michigan, right? We got a Michigan slugfest here between Ford coming back, going head to head with General Motors and their rival, which is, again, amazing. Fine. Yeah. But let's not forget that Lamborghini is there with oh, yeah. phenomenal drivers, right? There's some great Lamborghini teams. Mercedes AMG privateer teams, one of them that won just a couple years ago, did amazing. They're back. Sure. McLaren is here for the first time with a manufacturer pro level effort. Their 720S GT3. Amazing. Done well in the in the lower Pro Am class. Sure. This is the first time they will have a full kind of McLaren behind it. Let's go for victory effort. So that Lexus. Lexus won the GTD Pro Championship last year right. with the oldest model in IMSA. Not just the GT classes, all classes. The Lexus RCF GT3, which... They I played the BOP game just perfect, Marshall. Uh, I don't know if they did make it a joke. Off. No, no, no. They drove their behinds off, but they also made almost no mistakes throughout the year. But that's the part that's fun for me. Of course, the Blue Oval... Versus GM, that's going to be the thing we glom onto first. And then you have the eight other manufacturers who are dead set on spoiling that, giving those two brands the, the middle finger and saying, nope, we're going to be the ones that the cameras are trained on because we don't care about you and we don't want you. We want you to leave crying. 
So it's that kind of fun. Like, yeah. where you go, cool. BMW was a rocket. They're up in the pro class this year with a sedan. I mean, you look at a Lamborghini, which seemingly comes up to about your knee. Yeah, it's a race car. And then you, yeah, and then you walk up to the BMW and you almost have to like reach up to put your coffee on top and you go, <laughs> how do these things compete against each other? I tell you what, the Paul Miller racing team was the most dominant team with their BMW M4 GT3 in any class in IMSA last year. Wow. So again, I love it. I love it. We don't know who's going to win in each class compared to. Hey, the first Formula One race of the year is happening, Larry. Wonder what's going to happen there. And you go, should we just give Max the champagne right now and pray for Checo? Maybe. Understood. But this is why I love this race yeah. because I don't know who's going to win. That's what you want. And uh, we should note, we didn't really talk about it, but it, it, the, the driver line is pretty impressive. Philippe Massa, Formula, Ferrari Formula One driver, Jensen Buttons in the race this year. There's Joseph Newgarden, 8500 championship, all up and down the line. You know, the top, top drivers in the world are going to be at this race. So we have the majority of the best sports car drivers in the world competing here. Yeah. Not all. The uh, European FI World Endurance Championship has some crazy good drivers uh, who aren't here. But by and large, the best prototype and GT drivers any of us have seen are competing in IMSA. I did the numbers last night. There are 27 full-time drivers, Larry, for the upcoming NTT IndyCar Series season. 27 full-time IndyCar drivers for the upcoming IndyCar season. Yep. 14, more than half of the full-time IndyCar field, IndyCar drivers are competing. Amazing. In the 24. Like again, to, but to your point, you're like, how crazy is that? Felipe Massa, uh, almost world champion. Who's trying to sue his way into getting a world championship right now. Um, he'll be competing for the first time at the Rolex 24 Jensen button, just a really good dude, world, dude. true world champion. Uh, he'll be there. Um, of course, Jordan Taylor will be there. There's just, you're going to be busy. What, almost 200, almost 200 drivers, I think, yeah. at one race. Could you imagine? That's a lot of personalities to manage, right, Larry? I can't. Oh, okay. I'll I'll cut the edges off of your peanut butter sandwich. I'm sorry, dear driver. You know, like, uh, I'm so glad. Not a small percentage of them anymore. are divas. So, yes, you've been a team manager. You know what it's like managing drivers. They're high strung. Yeah, I'm so, I was so good at that, Larry. I make a living. <laughs> talking into a microphone and tapping on a keyboard. But uh, yes, I did used to do that. <laughs> well, it was a real pleasure. And I want to thank you for your time and your expertise uh, and and answering all my questions and really explaining this fantastic race. I hope everybody goes and sees it. Maybe, Marshall, I'd love to check in um, a little bit midway through, maybe before uh, Le Mans again to see, because a lot of these teams are going to go over and compete over there. So, uh, man, have a great weekend. Be safe. Don't get too close to the track when you're shooting those photos, okay? I, I'm going to, I have a goal of not running out onto the track okay. too many times, Good. but you know, a one or two, that's all. But yeah, thanks brother. Appreciate you. Uh, love what you're doing here. Larry Webster, the podcast, y'all. That's a, that's phenomenal. <laughs> Progress is happening. Thanks dude. Take care everybody. 